0: The Data Reaper Podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at vicious syndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Data Reaper Podcast. I'm your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined by the Legend himself, Zach O. Zach, how you doing? How you doing, huh? Doing okay. We're we're recording extra, extra early today thanks to the difference in daylight savings time in our country, so it's a solid 2 a.m. show for me here. But I am filled with excitement over the new expansion, Festival of Legends, which we'll be talking about the vast majority of the show today. New cards. rotations coming. It's right around the corner, and we're going to be talking about as many of them as we can squeeze into this episode.
0: Yep. And there's also a solid meta. uh. Happening right now, in the format and standard, just before rotation. Um, Miracle Rogue is uh, getting back on top. Best deck of top legend once again. Though, as uh, we've stated in the report, it's not the deck that it used to be. The matchup spread is not that insane. It's just very good specifically against uh, Demon Hunter, which is rising in play, and Quest Druid. Uh, It's a good answer to both decks. Solid against Undead Priest, too. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, And basically, uh, it snowballs hard. It has the snowballing capability to beat other late-game strategies while still being comfortable going late-game and just surviving against aggression. Uh, So um, a very powerful deck at high levels of play. Obviously, it's a difficult deck, so mostly performs there. Then you've got Undead Priest holding up... um, very well, um, at all levels of play, looking like the best deck to climb the legend with. Uh, a top deck really fighting for uh, with Miracle Rogue as the best deck, at top legend as well, despite you know, lack of respect. Uh, by some, I even uh, am a little bit surprised by uh, how well it's still doing, uh, especially at high MMRs. And uh, in addition to that, you've got some. Other decks creeping up, Quest Druid is looking better and better every day. Uh, it's a very, very dominant deck. It's got very few bad matchups. Basically, you have to play uh, Pure Paladin or Imporlock or Miracle Rogue in order to hard counter it. Otherwise, matchups are close to 50-50 or an unfavored. Because if you go late game against Quest Druid, their late game is just better than any other deck. Uh, in the format Guff and the Yassalur combo. Uh, make sure of that. So that's uh, that's a deck that's one to watch out for, potentially could become tier one, uh, at least on that trajectory, tier one at some rank brackets, especially at the top end of ladder. Uh, So it's a standout deck. Um, And in addition to that, there's some, you know, underrated decks. You know, Spitter Hunter is quite good. Hunter is being ignored. um but Spitter Hunter, you know, entered the power ranking. There, there was enough sample to to put it there, and it's confidently, uh, very confidently a tier two deck at the very least. Um, um, but pretty much any class other than Warrior and Shaman has competitive decks that boast decent win rates, and they can be good on the Legend climb. Top Legend is a bit more narrow as uh as it usually is, but. Still has plenty of viable decks and uh, stuff going on uh, beyond the, the top two, I would say, of uh, Miracle Rogo or Ended Priest. There are plenty of competitive decks that look good. Um, everything looks uh, quite viable. So I think the format is in, in pretty good shape. Uh, in addition to that, we've had a release of a pre-release Legendary, which is ETC. We'll also talk about that. I think we'll talk about it once we talk about the whole set uh the card has seen heavy experimentation then we've had a few days in order to evaluate it at least on surface level and see where it's being played and whether it's performing or not so i'll i'll mention i'll talk about etc in depth um in this podcast uh so yeah should be interesting we'll talk about the neutral set uh for this podcast Uh, We've decided that um, in this reveal season, what we're going to do in the podcast episode is talk about full sets once they're out. So uh, we know there are some class cards that are already known, but we'll wait to evaluate them until we have the full sets of of this particular class. For example, Shaman, I think, is being fully revealed this week. So uh, once we get more packages in, we'll talk about those packages and classes. But what did get fully revealed is the entire neutral set. I think this is a welcome change in terms of um uh team five's philosophy in reveal season is giving us the neutral set first in full, which makes it easier to theorcraft um uh, uh decks uh of of several, of all the other classes once they're fully revealed. We 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 know about the neutral set, we know what every deck can complement itself uh with uh, through the neutral set, so I think that's good. Only thing is missing is knowing what the core set is, and then we can just freely theorcraft uh, whatever, um, you know, we we can think of. So so that's really cool. That's a, I really like the 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 current structure of the reveal season, and I hope they continue with that.
1: Yep, it's and core only comes up. You know, they haven't done core with this sequence yet. It only comes up once a year. The other two sets a year are very easy. You put out the neutrals first. It's perfect. And then you just go build decks. So core is the only missing element here. But I they clearly have some context that they are waiting to reveal. Um, so I'm hopeful that it will be revealed with a couple of weeks left before the expansion, if not more. And then we can get to building. But I do want to go over briefly... Uh, Just a little bit of general expansion information. This is Festival of Legends. It is a fun music festival expansion. There's no central narrative here. It's just vibes. Pretty fun. Every class gets its own genre. Uh, We know that it is coming in April. We don't know exactly when, but we have a lot of hints that it is April 11th. Most likely the pre-order ends April 10th, and after that it's just... Usually when the day the expansion comes out and April 10th is a Monday expansion usually comes out on Tuesday. All of the signs are there that align with my previously charted uh, drop date of April 11th, but we will see it is not in the in the announcement blog. So it's entirely possible that shifts a couple days. I think it is extremely unlikely it is the week before and the 4th. I would not bet on that. Just I'm guessing they did not put a date in case they have to push it like two days to the 13th or something. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm guessing it's April 11th, but they didn't say anything because there might be some logistics uh, that they're not like 100% sure about. And if there are problems, they are still able to push it like to April 13th in, in such a case. So I think this is what they're uh this is why they're leaving it uh vague still but i'm i'm pretty sure it's going to be on the week of the a- a- april 11th if not 11th and 13th uh, worst case scenario the week after but i highly doubt it uh so we we have a, a good expectation of when the expansion is dropping uh and the reveal season is going to you know pick up uh, steam um starting next week uh, with a lot of class packages, again, cards are going to be revealed in class packages. You're going to see full context of a certain package within a class and what the cards uh, are and how they potentially work together. I really, really like this uh, the way that they structure this uh, now. It's just great. Uh, I can't say enough about like this is way better than any other structure of a reveal season. So good job from Team 5 for um, figuring that out and, and, and putting that uh, to place. Uh, and yeah, well, we have a lot of t- cards to talk about. I think the neutral sec is pretty interesting. It gives us some hints about what, you know, the general theme of the expansion, but I do want to say that the flavor of this expansion is perfect. You said that there isn't a ce- uh, central theme. I think...
1: No, no central narrative. There is a theme, No central but no narrative. narrative.
0: There is a theme, yeah. Yeah, there's no like well, there is a narrative. It's it's a music festival and each class is represented basically by a uh, a genre. Um they I think it's pretty perfect.
1: It's very Hearthstoney, right? Like it just it's just fun. It fits the game. It's just it's it's
0: camp. It's it's perfect uh Hearthstone flavor. Uh and, and you know, some of these cards are just the the flavor of them is just fantastic. Well, I'll I'll mention them when when they come up, but it's yep. just such a. There's one card that for me stands out as like, oh, this is absolutely perfect in terms of how they called it and what the effect is. But is we'll it get to
1: that. It's
0: hipster, right? No, 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 no. It's not hipster. But we'll 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 get to that. We'll get to that.
1: Okay. Well, first though, hold on, hold on. I still have to talk about the mechanics. Okay. So we have. We have a mechanic that's, the, the mechanic of the set is Finale. And Finale is when you, if you spend all your mana to play this, if after you play this, your mana is zero, do something extra. So it doesn't have to be the last card you play that turn. It, the extra effect happens as soon as you play it, but it, it has to spend all of your mana. Your mana has to be zero when the card resolves, and if that's what happens, then you get an extra thing.
0: I believe that, this can only, that it can only happen once a turn, I think.
1: Uh, I mean, it, if you Innervate or whatever...
0: If you Innervate and then play another finale card, does it, does it work? Does it activate? Like, if you, you, let's say you're on turn three, you play a three-mana finale
1: card, and then you Innervate out a one-mana finale card. I don't know. Like The way that I imagine this is implemented is it checks to make sure that you have zero available mana, and I wouldn't so it would expect work. it to be... It, that would be my expectation. I haven't played with the cards, but my guess would be that yeah, this yeah. is implemented to check that the number before the slash in your mana bar is zero, and if that's what happens when the card resolves, it does something extra.
0: Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, It's it's basically finale is, is kind of a battle cry, but one that checks on a certain condition uh, before activating, and it's not including as as a... Battle cry if you brand something a finale card that does not work yeah, yeah I think it's a it's a it's a really good i think it's a very uh, fits thematically fits this expansion
1: uh finale I think that's a it's a pretty interesting uh mechanic and finally players are punished for tapping last <laughs> yeah
0: pretty significant um but uh but yeah, there are other things that we're learning. From from this set uh, and about keywords, not necessarily. Oh, there's another mechanic that they're introducing, which is overheal hat. Can you explain what overheal
1: is? And it's going to be an evergreen mechanic, right? This is a priest mechanic, and we're not talking about any priest cards. I'll I'll read the one they put in the articles as an example. We're not going to talk about the preset, but the important thing here is. Priest is getting a new evergreen addition to their class identity this year, starting with Festival and Core Sets. This is called out explicitly in the reveal article. It is a new thing that Priest does forever. So, overheal. Whenever you overheal a minion with overheal, when it takes healing that exceeds the amount of damage it's taken, then it does something extra. So, for example... Heartbreaker Hedennis. 4 mana, 4, 8 legendary for Priest. Battlecry, deal 4 damage to this minion. Overheal, deal 5 damage to a random enemy. So every time you heal it, when the mac- when the amount of healing that you do exceeds however much damage is on there, if you get it to 8 and then heal it more, or if you heal it when it's fully healed already, when it's at full health, then you will deal 5 damage to a random enemy. So I anticipate... This is how they intend for Priest's base hero power to be a little bit more proactive. I bet that Northshire Cleric will be replaced with Southshire Cleric, which will go from one mana, one three, whenever you heal a damage minion draw a card, to whenever you overheal a minion draw a card. Oh,
0: that's speculation, Hath, but... Uh, it is
1: speculation, but it seems likely.
0: Uh, I, can, I can see that. Um... But basically, yeah, I I, I do like the overheal mechanic because it basically makes healing cards that in the early game um, are often useless, right? Because you're not taking damage and there's no point in in healing yourself at that point. Uh, It just makes them more active in the early game. In addition to that, it makes the hero power better in case you have overheal um, early game cards. So it's a cool mechanic, and Hedanus is very interesting. I'd like to see more cards in order to understand the context of this one. But you know, there's a lot of speculation. This card could be like an OTK if you chain a bunch of Overheals uh, on an empty board, then you're dealing five every time to to your uh, your opponent, the opponent hero. So that card is very very interesting. But again, I'll hold back on talking about specific class cards until we see more of them. But i think it's a it's a cool mechanic.
1: Yeah, it's a nice mechanic. I like that it's something proactive for priest, that seems to be the direction they're chasing. And it by my count, I think this is the third or fourth priest corset redesign. I think the third one. Um good luck to him. Cause it's pretty yeah. hard to get priest right. Uh we'll see if also if if Uncle Benny makes his way to Corset, because it sure would be nice to have proactive shadow hero power as well, but I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> Had <laughs> is really hoping for it, really, really praying, dude.
0: They've never, they've never kept a rotating card in the core set in the
1: very year in that very year. They've also never made a new keyword and thrown it in the core set. And we already know from looking at Festival that, as a bit of an early spoiler, we know that tradable is coming back because there is a card with tradable in Festival.
0: Yeah, tradable, tradable that, that is the big news. That was uh, exactly what I was going to mention next, is that we have a tradable card uh, in this expansion, which means that tradable is becoming an evergreen mechanic, which is fantastic because I think tradable is one of the mechanics that um, people clamored for it to be evergreen because it, it just feels so good to play and just seems appropriate to be a mechanic that stays in the game. Um and I can see some of the tradable cards from Stormwind being thrown into the core set. That's, that's a possibility. You, you, know, like,
1: you know why they haven't announced the core set? Because they have to reveal the animal. Zach, are you ready for Year of the Viper? Because <laughs> that's <laughs> coming back. But yeah,
0: I can see all the tech cards being, uh, all the tradable tech cards being put in the core set. I think it makes sense.
1: Yeah, like Viper and Royal Librarian and whatever, like throw them in there. Who cares?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like just 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 keep them. I don't think they're um uh, I don't think these cards bother anyone. Uh and they provide answers, uh, safety valves in situations where, you know, they're needed. Uh but uh my like my personal my personal view is that if a tech card becomes absolutely necessary in order to survive in a format, you probably need to f- nerf whatever it targets. Um, but I don't mind the presence of the tech card itself. It just doesn't need to be uh, overwhelmingly powerful, and none of the tech cards with tradable are overwhelmingly powerful or anything close to that.
1: Yeah, none of these are cobalt sticky finger. Like That's not what we're dealing with, where the tech card is as swingy as the thing that it is trying to counter. And we keep talking about weapons. It's important to note, weapons might be relevant because every class is getting a weapon. We do know that. They're all getting an instrument weapon. So far, we've seen two of them. They both have... Death rattles, but not all of them do. Uh, but we've seen a couple already. We know every class is getting some kind of instrument weapon. So there's a lot of weapon stuff in this set already. And so I do think that it's pretty likely that Viper makes its way back to Core, which is why I think if there's ever been a chance where a rotating card could drop straight into Core as soon as it leaves, it would be Benedictus now because it's been a really nice additional class identity component for Priest. That has been very different from what they've done in the past, but still feels very priesty. And they're clearly using the whole buffalo right now. They're not letting anything go to waste. Reborn is back. Tradable is back. They're just trying all this stuff. And I think it's a good way to go as the game gets a little older and people can handle some stuff from the past, some stuff from the present.
0: I mean, I think Reborn and Tradable are just mechanics that are easy to understand. Uh, even if you weren't a Hearthstone player during the expansions where they were introduced, um, they're just uh, very intuitive. Uh, it's not like, uh, you know, uh, frenzy, you know, s- stuff stuff that you need to read up what the card, what the mechanic does. I think tradable is very intuitive.
1: Yeah. It's not like they're bringing back, like, Invoke. That is... You need a. You need a. They need a blog article for that one.
0: Yeah, there's no. It's not. It's not complicated mechanics. But the most important thing, they're well designed mechanics, um, that the player base specifically really liked and was impressed with. Remember that discover used to be, <laughs> was a league 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 of Explorer uh, keyword. It was uh, introduced in an expansion, and it was very um, commended. Uh it was uh it got really good feedback and it stayed. And I can see keywords that are particular standouts in design and flavor to and not ones that are particularly complicated to stick around uh in, in future sets as well, and evergreen sets. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Uh I'm interested in the core set. I'm very, very interested. I'm hoping that they release the corset as soon as possible because it kind of holds back uh on uh, us being able to craft, uh without knowing what the corset is. Uh, so hopefully uh, we'll get that soon. Um, but yeah, there it's important The I think uh, the fact that every class is getting a weapon which is an instrument. So I'm guessing like caster classes will have like zero attack weapons uh, like priests, like mage, I would expect something like that like weapons with aura effects. However, there are some neutral cards that could potentially complement these instruments and make them more consistent. Um, So if we want to start,
1: do we, did we
0: say anything, everything that we needed to say?
1: I think we did. Do you want to talk about the weapon cards first? Because there are a couple of them. Yeah. Yes. There's one that's okay. And one that I'm sure we will be seeing for a while. So we've got a couple of weapon, weapon cards that have been revealed. Uh, Air guitarist, one mana, one one neutral battle cry. Give your weapon plus one durability. Decent enough. It's okay. Uh, there will be use cases for it. But instrument tech, two mana, one two battle cry. Draw a weapon. Neutral. That's it. Yeah.
0: Suddenly, uh, there's a weapon tutor for every class in the game. Now, for some classes, uh, it might not be as interesting. For example, Death Knight because they already have. A weapon tutor in Rune forging, but maybe like in Frost, where you don't want to uh, disrupt uh, Frigidara, and you want all your spells to be Frost, then you can run instrument tech. So there's a use for this card. I mean, this card is not amazing, like 2-mana 1-2 kind of sucks, but it's a tutor for a weapon. And if the instruments are very powerful, it means that classes will have very easy access to them if they so please. Uh, in addition, air guitar seems a little bit weak in terms of like just one durability. But if we're talking about instruments and the durability, like maybe there's a uh, you spend durability to make some something really powerful happen, then one durability could be a big deal. It really depends on the context of the weapon. But it seems like these cars are intended to amplify. Oh, uh, is that a little that a little audio
1: pun? that one. Yeah,
0: amplify the consistency and the power of the instruments. So, um, th- I found those uh interesting. Uh, there's another interesting package of minions, uh, which are fan cards. And I think we ta- we'll talk about all the fan cards together. And basically, what the fan cards do is that they're battle cry cards where you choose a minion, and something happens to that minion. Uh, so, 1 mana, 1, 2, Annoying Fan. It's a mech. And the battle cry is, choose a minion, it can't attack while this is alive. While the fan is alive, this effect is persistent. If you kill the Annoying Fan, then the minion that is picked by it can attack again. Um, this reminds me a little bit of Glacial Shard. Um, in terms of, it's not a freeze, but it stops something from being attacked, uh, from being able to attack, but this one is persistent as long as it's alive. Now, it's kind of easy to remove it because it just has two health, but in the early game, if you go second and your, your opponent plays a one-drop and you play Annoying Fan, that's pretty annoying. Like, your one-drop cannot attack until you are able to deal with the Annoying Fan. So this card, I think, is a little bit niche, but uh, i can see some decks maybe being interested in this effect um and the other other fans uh i think rowdy fan might be the most powerful one it's a three mana one five and the battle cry is choose a minion it has plus four attack while this is alive so this is a three mana one five with kind of cold blood um you can think of it in terms of the total output of stats that this has, it's a three mana 5-5, but the four attack can attack immediately. Because if you have a minion in play and you pick and you play Rowdy Fan and buff it to plus four attack, that's a lot of damage early. Like imagine you're playing a two drop uh, and you play Rowdy Fan, give it plus four attack, go face. It's cold blood. So. Rowdy Fan seems very powerful for an aggressive deck. This card, I think you should watch out for it. This is a lot of attack value early in the game. Uh, initially, I read this card as 4 attack, but and I forgot about the plus. But the fact that this is plus 4, so this is always plus 4 attack on a minion. This is a lot of damage. And since it has 5 health, it's pretty hard to kill. So even though it's not a permanent cold blood and it t- it comes off once the rowdy fan dies, this is like on curve. You play rowdy fan on curve, pretty much guaranteed to have a lot of value in attack. If you get something to stick, if you put this on an egg, it's very powerful. Uh, I can see rowdy fan being played in a lot of aggressive decks. So this card is very good. Um, what are the other annoying? There's obsessive fan. An obsessive fan is a 4-mana 2-6, where the battle cry is choose a minion, it has stealth while this is alive. So again, this is 4-mana, 6 health, pretty hard to remove, and whatever minion it chooses gets stealth, and the stealth is permanent while this is alive. Uh, This is a bit more niche, I don't like it as much as a Rowdy fan, Uh, but maybe there's some weird um, uh, thing that you can do with it, but... Basically, I think that out of the fans' fan cards, I really like Rowdy. I think Rowdy is a huge addition for some aggressive deck. Um,
1: very, very powerful card, for, in my opinion. Yep. Obsessive Fan has some of my favorite flavor design. Uh, The star has to hide from the fan until the fan is gone. Exactly. exactly. It's fun. so
0: good. Like, Rowdy is also perfect. Like, Rowdy uh, basically makes the target more rowdy yeah, gets for attack and annoying yep. is exactly what it does it's like it's a like perfect flavor uh for for this expansion and they really nailed it like the stealth on the obsessive fan is just perfect so i really like the 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 flavor and theme of a lot of the cards for this expansion i think they're they're
1: just great um by the way rowdy fan is a quill bore and that is important because Quilbore are largely rotating out from Forge and the Baron, so they added some. And also, because there is a menagerie archetype that they're very clearly signaling towards. Ironically, can't be played with the Purator, because all these are in neutral. But we've got a bunch of menagerie cards. There's, uh, there are a lot of different tribal tags that are around. We've seen a lot of mechs so far, uh, That because a lot of the equipment and crew of the festival are mechs. You know, because they're a bunch yeah, of, like the mech speaker tribe, The mech
0: tribe really fits this expansion because, as you said, machinery, audio machinery, uh, uh in terms of theme, the mech kind of fits. Uh, and yeah, there's some there's some remember that in Sunken City we had a lot of mech support, uh, which means all of that set is kept. And now we're being at there's an addition of a lot of early game mechs that seem pretty powerful. Um the most, the standout for me is uh, Frequency Oscillator, which is a 1-mana 2-1 uh, mech. With a Battlecry, the next mech you play costs one less. This one is a big deal. This one is a big deal. Uh, this is, first of all, if you're playing an aggressive mech deck or an aggressive deck with a lot of mechs, it doesn't have to be a lot of mechs, but uh, because this is not limited to a turn it's on on the next turn it's not this turn it's that whenever you bank a one mana discount on the next mech you play so if you play any sort of any number of mechs you might consider playing this now in aggressive mech pal- mech decks like mech mage and mech paladin this is a no-brainer like mecha shark you're able to play it for two potentially
1: well with seafloor gateway this actually gains you a mana
0: yeah And see, like, if you discount this with a Seafloor Gateway and you play a zero mana Oscillator, then even more so. So there's a lot of uh, potential here in, like, tribal decks. But also, Oscillator, you can just play it in in a Paladin deck that just runs Seafloor Savior and Leviathan. You can play a Leviathan on turn six, like, a turn early. Uh, The point is, you can kind of play this to set up some big mech that you want to cheat out earlier and not necessarily put this in a tribal deck. Uh, there, there's something to think about when it comes to Oscillator. I think this card is guaranteed to see some play, uh, whether it's an aggressive mech deck, which I'm, you know, it's pretty obvious impl- uh, application or in some more subtle, even a combo-ish deck that has a mech as a centerpiece uh, can, can use Oscillator. So I think that card is really good. A mech that's not necessarily going to be an aggressive... that definitely not going to be an aggressive uh, mech deck. But uh, has implications elsewhere is Audio Amplifier. Which is a 2-mana two 2-3 two, mech. And the battle cry is set your maximum mana and hand size to 11. This is basically the card that activates the Death Beetle for Druid. Post-rotation, post-Guff. Um... I can't say I'm too excited about this because the card on the surface kind of sucks. Like, it's a 2-mana, two 2-3. Two, it does nothing on the turn you play it. It just... You're able to have a hot, bigger hand size and get to 11. So you have to play this in, in Druid, in a Death Beetle kind of deck. Or maybe you play this in Warlock in order to... In a Handlock style, but... A lot of the hand, handlock style cards are rotating. And I don't see a reason why you would really play this in
1: Warlock. So This will be one of the most overplayed cards of the expansion. Uh, people you th- you will throw it, will it in decks even that it doesn't belong. It's I, like not, a, not at high level.
0: I will say the one thing it does is that if you have a combo, finishing combo that costs 11 mana, you can play one of these and basically you're able to activate it uh so that's something to think about right if you have like some sort of finisher but it costs 11 mana now you can use it with audio amplifier so there's some something that this card can do but again on on an individual power this card is not that great like uh and you definitely in these kind of decks i don't think you can run more than one of these uh you just run one of these in order to set your maximum because the second one is useless all right, the second one does nothing. So you just run one of these and uh have some finisher that costs eleven mana and you're able to activate it.
1: Yep. It's uh, people are excited about it, but I do think it's a bit overhyped. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't think it's I don't think it's that good. Any other interesting mechs? Well I was talking about the I was talking about the menagerie thing. Because we do pretty clearly have some reference. Like, there's a really good two-drop elemental. There's a a totem, stereo totem, that does hand buff stuff. At the end of your turn, it gives a random minion in your hand, plus two, plus two. It's a neutral totem. There's a lot of hand buff stuff. There's a lot of hand buff stuff. So there's a menagerie beast party animal. It's a two-mana, two-three beast battle cry. Give plus one, plus one to a minion of each type in your hand. So this is kind of the card that I look at. As the crossover for both the hand buff stuff and the menagerie stuff,
0: yeah. I, I what I'm seeing here is potentially a neutral package that supports a hand buff deck in whatever class, uh, but one that uses uh, as many tribal tags as possible. And party animal is really the card that makes it work. This card is a very powerful. Hat it's a two mana two three baseline, so you play it in the early game. You can still fight for board, but the amount of buffs that you can land with this, if you have a menagerie type deck, is significant. This is a huge card for that archetype, and there are also some very good, as you said, some very good tri- uh, tribal cards that are not mechs necessarily. Rolling
1: Stone is oh man, this card is huge. I this love card is this card. Yeah, it's is that, yeah, yeah. I'm certain you saw this and you saw that it cares about playing one drops and you're like, oh, has gonna talk to me about this, huh? Yeah, <laughs> Rolling Stone is a 2-mana
0: two 2-2 two, two elemental with rush. If the last card you played costs 1, gain plus 1, plus 1. So if you play a 1-drop on turn 1, and turn 2 you play Rolling Stone, it is a 2-mana 3-3 three, three rush on turn 2. And at any other point in the game, if you play this as a follow-up to a 1-drop, It's a 3-3 rush. So if you're playing an aggressive deck with a lot of 1-drops, this card is an automatic inclusion. I don't think you even think about putting this in your deck. Like a 3-3 rush early game, it's so good at dominating board. It kills every 1-drop in the game, every 1-3 in the format. This just cleanly deals with it. I think this card is huge and is probably going to be a staple for some aggressive deck. In addition to that, it's an ele- elemental, and it has a scaling keyword. Rush is a scaling keyword with buffs. The more you buff a scaling keyword, the more insane it becomes exponentially. So Party Animal already has a great elemental target to buff in hand. And uh, Stereo Totem is a 2-mana zero three 3 neutral totem, at the end of the turn, give a random minion in your hand, plus two, plus two, which is, is a pretty sizable single target buff, but it can keep happening if you don't kill the totem. So this cannot be ignored. Um, so there's there's something cooking here. Like party, but party animal really is the card that makes it work. I'm really curious to see what kind of classes get further hand buff um, synergies to leverage this further. You're looking at Classes that historically had hand buffs, uh, Hunter, Warrior, Paladin, uh, your, watch out for those in, in particular as uh, classes that can potentially uh, utilize Party Animal and some sort of menagerie deck. Yeah, there's a mech that's really cool, uh, but it's not necessarily a mech for an aggressive deck. It just happens to be a mech. A Metro Gnome.
1: Ah, uh, Zach, this is the best tempo card in the set. <laughs> it's great tempo I agree three mana two four
0: uh mech after you play a one cost card draw a two cost card and then increase so what you can do with metronome is you play a one cost card you draw a two cost card if you play that two cost card you draw a three cost card so basically metronome is a draw engine where you can play it in the mid to late game And Chain Draw stuff. Uh, This very much reminds me of Spirit of
1: the Frog. Uh, If you remember that Spirit of the Frog card. So so a listener of mine tweeted at me, uh, Proxilox, Spirit of the Cog.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think this card is good. I think this card sees play. Similar thing to Spirit of the Frog, which ended up enabling a deck that was built to abuse it with specific uh, cards of specific cost. Now, this is admittedly a uh, takes one cost and two cost cards rather than spells or minions. So I think in terms of deck building, it's a bit more difficult to perfectly leverage it because Spirit of the Frog was only used with spells. So you picked certain spells and filled the rest of your mi- uh, deck with minions so that it would always chain in an optimal way. Here, Metronome is a bit harder to use, but it's unlike Spirit of the Frog. It actually has a body and relevant stats. So uh, it's a very interesting card. It's a combo card that I think that has great potential to be utilized in some deck uh, that leverages it through deck building to get specific things that it wants. Um, I do like it a lot in terms of flavor, and, and again, it's, it's, it's a really interesting card. Uh, but for me, Hat, the number one best flavor in this expansion, potentially, and one of the best cards, is Audio Medic. Hat, this is Lucio. This I is noticed. This is perfect. It's a 2-mana two 2-3. Two, listen, listen. It has Rush. If you have ever played Lucio in Overwatch, and you had to give it a keyword, give him a keyword, it would be Rush. And in addition... Finale gained lifesteal. For those that don't know, Lucio is a healing character. And he even calls himself Audiomedic in Overwatch. This is Lucio. It's perfect. This is perfect. But anyway, this card is nuts. It's a 2-mana 2-3 with Rush at its baseline. And if you have Finale activated, which, for example, Finale is active on Curve. If you play this on turn two, it gains life steal. Hat, I'm sorry to tell you, but your shadow priest deck is getting hard countered by this card. Like this is an insanely good card. Uh, it's vis- basically vicious scalehide with double the attack, and vicious scalehide was a card that was utilized in sort of buff strategies. This card also obviously scales insanely well with buff, considering. It has two scaling keywords, both Rush and Lifesteal, but just a standalone two drop.
1: This card is giga nuts. They must have been waiting until Iron Deep Trog left standard to print the counter to Iron Deep Trog.
0: Yeah, this is a hard counter to Iron Deep Trog, but you're not going to. But this is a good counter to any one drop with two health. Like it's just wrecks it. Um, it it's it's very good. Uh, I'm pretty sure that any kind of board-centric deck that is even remotely defensive in nature, or even not, even aggressive in nature, it's a 2-mana 2-3 rush. You just play it. The only thing that it doesn't have is a tribal tag, Because if it did and it worked with Party Animal, it would be absurd. But uh, there are plenty of buffs uh, in the game that don't land on tribes. So if you you're playing some sort of buffing deck, uh, you would play Audio Medic. I think Audio Medic, if it was in the format right now, it would see play in multiple decks. Uh, this card is just, for me, a standout neutral in the set. Maybe I'm overrating it, but for me, a 2-mana two 2-3 two, brush with upside
1: is uh, and very easy to activate upside is just very, very good. Uh, finale is a tricky mechanic because like the cards with the finale conditions are crazy but also we have to look at it kind of like honorable kill of how often does this happen it's not as as up to our opponents as much but we do only get one finale per turn but if you have these cards on curve they're pretty strong and there are some good neutral defensive tools in this set there's audio medic there's festival security three mana two five taunt finale force all enemy minions to attack this obviously great with hand buffs no tribal tag but if you hit this with a stereo totem on two, it becomes a four seven, and then turn three, you have a an injured blade master that makes all of your opponents just run into it. That's how it gets injured by killing your stuff. That's also yeah, pretty powerful.
0: Is, yeah, this is a very good card with hand buffs. Um, very good. Like it's a it's a great comeback card because usually what happens with hand buff decks and why they often struggle is they don't have comeback mechanics or if they do they're very limited uh, because they spend the early game playing uh, hand buff cards which are usually don't have a lot of impact on the board and this is a big payoff that can potentially just wreck a deck that spreads wide against the the hand buff decks and tries to rush it down so festival security is definitely a very good payoff uh, for this but they did um, you know cleverly uh, keep some of the cards from having a tribal tag so that party animal doesn't become completely crazy and that deck building isn't uh, too easy for for these hand buff decks. Um, but yeah, this card is also good. Another card that also is a scaling card with hand buff strategies is Outfit Tailor, which is a 3 mana 2-2. Two, two. Uh, Battlecry, give a friendly minion attack and health equal to this minions. Um. So if you buff Outfit Tailor, this can be insane. Like this can be a blessing of kings type of card. Like imagine Outfit Tailor you buff it to a 3 mana
1: 4/4. You just seafloor savior at two, right? Like seafloor savior into this.
0: Yeah, like it's just insane. Like you play this and you get a huge buff and a good, a decently stat minion. Yeah, like every every buff on Outfit Tailor counts for double basically because of the ability. So this card is another one, another very good payoff for hand buff decks. Uh, So as you can see, there's a lot of menagerie stuff and there's a lot of hand buffing stuff. Another card that's kind of funny, I'm not sure if this goes in hand buff decks or whether it goes in an entirely different deck that tries to abuse it in some weird way through copy effects, is Freebird. Freebird is a 4-mana 2-2 with charge. And the battle cry is gain plus 1, plus 1 for each other Freebird you've played this game. So basically, this is like a Pogo Hopper? Uh, but it's far less efficient, right? Stat-wise, well, it was a 1-mana card. This is 4-mana, but it has charge. So theoretically... If you copy a bunch of free birds and you start playing multiple free birds, then you know the last free birds hit pretty hard. I'm just wondering what kind of what what class could potentially abuse it best? Maybe rogue with shadow step and some sort of copy cards. Rogue has historically had copy cards in the past, so maybe they can uh, play free bird and and just charge their opponent down with some sort of. Uh, Weird late game scaling, eh. but um, the card is very interesting. Obviously, it's bad on the surface. Like, if you play this, maybe, maybe if you play it, it's a beast. So, if you play it in a hand buff deck with party animal, I guess it can be okay. But I'm curious about the possibility of copying it and playing multiple free birds. I get playing five, six free birds in a game and making you know, the last ones uh hit pretty hard. Uh, so, that's one. Thing to watch out for when we look at the upcoming class cards. I think that card is really interesting. A big, there is one card that is a big menagerie payoff. Uh, and I'm not sure it just goes into menagerie decks or it just encourages you to put some tribal cards into your established decks that aren't necessarily focused on the menagerie theme is the One Amalgam Band, which is a 7-mana 6-6 six, six amalgam. It has all the tribal tags. So all of them. And the battle cry is gain a random bonus effect for each minion type you've played this game. Random bonus effects is basically all the keywords other than charge.
1: I have the list here. So taunt, divine shield, stealth, lifesteal, wind fury, poisonous, rush, reborn. Yeah.
0: All of these potentially so if you've played a lot of tribal cards, this card is like a Siamot on crack. Right, uh, this card very much reminds me of Ciamat. Um Exact same stats, but the potential scaling of this in a deck that runs a lot of tribal cards is insane. Like this card could be huge. Like this can have poisonous, divine shield, wind fury, life which would completely stabilize you in, in faster matchups. Like you just play this and the game is over. And it's a threat in, in against slower decks as well. So this card is very interesting and definitely encourages, uh, you know, that kind of build around. Okay, um, other interesting cards. Uh, I think Hipster is really cool. Basically, it's a Pander and importer kind of card, but opposite because the battle cry. It's a two mana one three. Same stats as Pander and importer. Uh, discover a spell from your opponent's class that
1: isn't in their deck. Yeah, discover a spell so, before it was cool. I love this flavor so much. It's so, yeah, so good. it's perfect. It, it is very, very good.
0: Hipster is really good in terms of flavor and name. This What I did notice is there are some interesting discover cards. Like, this expansion seems to be bringing back, you know, Venomous Scorpid is rotating. Uh, that card has a, had a good run. Uh, and there's some really potentially powerful discover cards Uh, Being introduced to replace it, hipster is one of those. It's uh, it's very two mana, one, three, discover is pretty good. I think this card is pretty good in some decks. Maybe if uh, Thief Rogue, even though it got a lot of stuff rotating, if it gets uh, you know, a new package of Thief Payoffs, hipster could be a candidate for that deck. Um, there is a card that I really like, I think that card is really good. Ghost Rider, uh, as good as a discover card can be, it's a five mana, four, four. That's pretty slow. But the battle cry is discover a spell and finale discover another. So if you play this on turn five and you activate finale, you discover two cards, two spells.
1: That's pretty good for the cost. That is a lot of value. There there are a couple cards that I would compare this to. It's not quite an Azure Drake. Back in the era where five mana four, four plus one card was good. This gets you plus two cards instead. And it's not yeah. quite an ethereal conjurer, which we did play for a while in Mage, 5 minutes 6 to discover a spell. If this routinely discovers two spells, that is something you want to do.
0: Yeah, if you're playing a late game strategy that is focused on value, um, this card is amazing, uh, I think. like
1: it, it, This probably goes in, in a lot of DK decks.
0: Yeah, and first of all, in, in Death Night in Blood Death Knight, this card is amazing. It's also an maybe undead. Rainbow.
1: Maybe Rainbow DK. Maybe Rainbow, yeah, potentially. There is a Rainbow spell that we'll talk about in a future episode.
0: Yeah, but I, I would rather play Blood Death Knight and, and play Ghost Rider and discover that spell.
1: <laughs> you cannot. <laughs> with, uh, with Ghost Rider. You cannot. It is Wait, specifically excluded. Why? Oh, yeah? Really? They said that? The the should we just talk about this now because I think it's okay. We'll talk about it. Let's talk about it. All right. There is. Wait, this is a detour. This is unplanned. You're gonna have to bear with us, okay. listeners, because I think that Zach's reaction is actually key here. I want. I have a point I want to make. I think a relevant okay. point. Um. So there's a there's a every class gets a legendary spell and legendary minion in this expansion. We know the Death Knight legendary spell. It's called climatic necrotic explosion. Really cool. Really interesting. And it is a rainbow spell. One blood, one frost, one unholy. Lifesteal. Deal five damage. Summon two 1-1 souls. It is randomly improved by previously spent corpses. So there are four numbers on the card. The damage number, the number of souls, the attack of the souls, and the health of the souls. They have confirmed that all four of those are improved randomly and separately. So every time you spend a corpse... You upgrade this card by something, and it's corpses you spent this game. doesn't have to be in your hand. Upgrades over the course of the entire game. Whenever you draw it, you see whatever it has upgraded into. You don't have control over the numbers, but the more corpses you spend, the better it gets. Big pile of lifesteal damage and a big pile of stats. However, they said they do not want other Death Knight specs. Getting this late game, win condition, body in a box, whatever. So it is excluded from discover pools outside of rainbow. Now, I can see the at least the balance or balance adjacent concern. If you play this after a Marogar, that is a lot of numbers. I don't think it would be a balance outlier, but I can understand how it would feel pretty powerful and out of line because it is a rainbow spell.
0: Also discovered by Vizier and
1: being yeah. played on turn 8 is pretty annoying, but wait, the damage is also improved. Well, so one of these four numbers is improved every time you spend a corpse. Not all of them. One of them.
0: Yeah, because when I read the card, I thought only the souls are improved. But the
1: damage can also go up. Okay, that's significant. It also has lifesteal. But the soul Um. stats are not linked. In other improvements we've seen, like in Relic of Phantasms, one time you play a Relic, it goes from 1-1 to 2-2. If you spend one corpse, it could go from 1-1 to 2-1 or 1-1 to 1-2. Or an extra 1-1, one, one, but it doesn't scale together, it's separate.
0: I see. So there are four numbers, and they can all be randomly approved by the Cops. Uh, yeah, this card is complicated, but uh, interesting payoff for... I'm not convinced that this makes Rainbow...
1: Oh no, I don't think it's good. I don't think it's a good card.
0: Yeah, I don't think... I mean, it's a good card, but the restriction is very uh, significant. But yeah, we got we we talked about Ghostwriter. This is why we got here. So these this specific uh, spell cannot be discovered, but still, Ghostwriter. Even though I can't discover this one, I think Ghostwriter just goes into blood.
1: I would play this in blood, hundred percent. Yeah, and this is not a commentary on Ghostwriter. I'm more. I wanted to use this to to ask you, and to float the idea. Is this incident of manual curation so early in the class's lifespan, an indicator that they should probably just rip the Band-Aid off and limit Discover to Rune options that you have selected?
0: Um, It's an interesting question. Personally, I would like that because the reason why I would like that is very often, like, if you're playing against a Blood Death Knight, and they suddenly play the Scourge against you. It doesn't feel like you lost to a Blood Death Knight. Uh, it feels like you lost to some to something else. Um, basically, I feel it, 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 like the fact that this, you can discover cards from other runes that you didn't put in your deck um, makes Death Knight decks more samey in the sense of... Like it feels like they didn't make actually make a sacrifice when they chose a certain rune.
1: Yeah, and it makes school teacher the best card in the class. Yeah, it just
0: makes Death Knight uh a overly prioritize discover effect to the point of of like oh no I'm just gonna stack discovers so that my deck building choice my rune choice is not meaningful for me. It kind of loses some of the immersion when I play against a blood death knight and I suddenly am faced with frost cards and unholy cards that they specifically omitted in the deck building phase. So I, and also the other thing that is even more important is that it's an intuitive restriction. Like if you impose this restriction, it doesn't feel like you did something that, is unintuitive or weird. In fact, it feels more fitting to, to execute it. Now, the one problem from that is that if you do limit the runes, and that's something that they might be thinking about, is that the pool of spells or the pool of cards becomes even more narrow, and you can get to a position a situation where like the Frost Death Knight just keeps finding Frostworm's Fury. That's another thing that you might have to think about. Like if we limit the, the, the discover pool to just cards of the runes that were selected or were limited by, does it make it too consistent?
1: And it's entirely possible as well that they might have known they were going to make a change here and they had to wait until they had enough spells in the pool.
0: It's, it's possible. It's also very possible because if I'm a blood death knight and I'm playing school teacher, basically I'm getting asphyxiate or obliterate like every time, <laughs> or vampiric blood, yeah, or <laughs> yeah, that card's okay. Yeah, that card's pretty good. the The point is that you want to limit because you want the decks to feel different, and discover of makes them more samey. But on the other hand. Discover consistency could be a problem. So you have to juggle that. Um, So I can see cases like I don't think either is, is wrong. If the spell pool is large or the discover pool is large enough, then I would like to see that restriction to the point like where if you make that restriction, it doesn't make discover overly consistent into finding the same thing, especially when it comes to cases like, uh Frost Death Knight finding Frost Wim's Fury and Blood Death Knight fi- finding Vampiric Blood. Um and so on. Uh those those things you you want to be careful of because essentially you can play a number of discover cards to the point where it's like you're running three, four copies of Frost Wim's Fury or three, four copies of Vampiric Blood. And it already Ugh. is very common to find a Blood Death Knight that played like four or five copies of Vampiric Blood during a game and it's seventy 80 health. And, I'm glad I didn't eat before the show. Yeah, might be a little bit too much. But but yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, you can very clearly see the pros and cons. Uh, and, and you can understand that this is not an easy decision to make.
1: Yeah, the the reason I bring it up is because of the, the middle ground here is, while it's not in the pool because we said so, that's where it starts to get a little funky, that you just have to know this. And if you weren't on Twitter, you'll just be like, "I low rolled on finding this every time."
0: Yeah, this is. Uh, yeah, I would rather not do changes that require you to have homework pre, like pre-game knowledge, where you need to know that you cannot discover a climatic necrotic explosion uh, if you made discovers restricted to the runes. Let's say you were playing a deck with two frost and one blood. And you would understand, I didn't put Frost in my deck, I cannot discover it. I think that rule makes sense, and I think it's easy to understand, even for a player beginning to learn about Death Knight, it would make sense to them that the, this, this restriction would apply. But again, there is a problem with that potential restriction, which is making Discover too consistent if the, spell, if the pool of cards is, is low. Uh, but we'll see. I think w- if Deathline gets more, as Deathline gets more and more cards, that becomes less
1: of a problem. They might apply it. Um, yeah. All right. So, well, I think it's time there- we start talking about the weirder stuff. Um, yeah. So we've got one epic, and then we can get into the legendaries. The epic I really want to talk about here, so I'm curious where you land on, it, is cover artist. 4-mana, 3-3 three, three cry, transform into a 3-3 three, three copy of a minion. This is Taldoram, but he is not royalty. Cover artist is just, no restrictions, just 4-mana, turn to a 3-3 three, three copy of a minion. And Taldoram was actually pretty niche, because a lot of the reason that you would play a clone card is to steal a bunch of stats. And this doesn't do that, it's a 3-3 three, three copy. So you have to wonder, where will I want a copy of a minion... That where I'm not getting the battle cry and I'm not getting the stats. And the answer, I think, quite often is Death Rattles. And my first thought here with this card is Amorphous Slime. You
0: I think Cover Artist is really good. I think it's basically a faceless manipulator for one last mana if you don't care about the stats specifically. And uh Taldoran was a good card in the uh, Cube Warlock, which played the Carnivorous Cube, and that's exactly the kind of thing that Cover Artist can can really enhance. Uh, death rattle decks with really powerful death rattle if you play cover artists on that that
1: you copy a lot of value you don't care as much about the front load stats you want it to be smaller because you want it to die so like in the in chad warlock amorphous slime flesh behemoth potentially with reborn dark hondra potentially with reborn there are a lot of hits there yeah, and it's also not an undead, so that's perfect. It doesn't interfere
0: with that deck, so I think that card is perfect for that deck. But also, cover artists can be good also if you want some some weird combo. You want to make some weird combo with some static effects um, that you don't care about the stats, but maybe like spell damage kind of stuff. But not really spell damage, but maybe end-of-turn effects that are really powerful.
1: Could be spell damage with, like, something that an egg win goes onto, right? And that's the dream. You copy something that has an egg win buff. Basically, any kind of
0: stat effect that's a very powerful cover artist can come in and amplify that. I can see that becoming some sort some, of some piece for a late game win condition in that way. So for me, it's either death rattles, uh, which I think is easier to execute, or some late game combo, some late game win condition where it copies static effect. But I do think that Cover Artist is a card with a lot of potential. It's just not very obvious in the deck building. I-, I think once we see more class cards, when we see more class sets, we can get a glimpse of where Carver Artist can be. But the immediate obvious thing that I would do with Cover Artist is slap it in Chad Chadlock oh, 100%. This card is perfect for that archetype. Um, so that card's really good. Now, let me think. Is there a card that's not legendary? Before we get to that, that I think is worth talking about? Let me go over it. Did did we cover everything? I do think we covered everything. I got uh, most other things. I mean, some of the cards are okay. Like, paparazzi. Like, paparazzi is a card. Like, three mana, three, four battle cry, discover a legendary minion. I mean, this is quite a bit of value. The problem is that there's so many legendaries that are just trash. And, whatever, and a, lot of, a effect, lot of
1: neutral legendaries that are trash.
0: Yeah, a lot of neutral. Like, I initially thought, let's put this in Death Knight. Because all the legendaries are kind of nuts in Death Knight. But there's just so many neutral legendaries that are trash. And there's no discover bias for class cards. That makes me think that this is probably not making the cut. Um, yeah. So... Oh, a Pyrotechnician is kind of interesting. It's a 4-mana 2-5. After you cast a spell and a random fire spell to your hand,
1: random fire spell from any class, you can get it from any class or only your class. If it says random, random is is across classes. Discover is the only thing that's class limited.
0: Huh, this is kind of interesting. It's kind of an interesting value generator, but it's not really something that you can target because it's not, Class specific. Um, but it is sort of interesting. Oh, the tradable card. I don't think this tradable card is good. But it's the most significant thing is that it has tradable. Which is the Concert proto, Promo Drake. Which is th- the naming on these cards and the flavor of them is just perfect. The, the puns are just insane in this expansion. Um, it's an 8-mana 8-8. It has tradable finale uh
1: destroy an enemy minion card seems nutty in arena insane in arena yeah but but not very good otherwise but again the most
0: significant thing is it has tradable it, they they may, they put one tradable neutral in the set just to tell us okay tradable is now evergreen okay let's
1: get to the spiciest cards uh left okay so Zach when you were when you were playing when you were talking about paparazzi zach you were talking about there are a lot of trash-neutral legendaries. Why don't we start with one of those, like ETC, for example? <laughs> Why are you spoiling, Hat? Why are you spoiling? And if, you wanted, if you want to be spoiled, just play with this card once and you'll be like, oh. Uh, so, ETC Band Manager, this is the freebie legendaries in the game right now. 4-mana four 4-4. Four, four. While building your deck, assemble a band of three cards. battle cry discover one. So, four mechanics. Let's cover mechanics real quick. Here's how it works. When you're building your deck, assume that you're building a 33-card deck. The cards that you put in the band have to fit the same restrictions that they would if you were building a 33-card deck. Can't run a third copy, can't run a second legendary, can't break DK runes, whatever. When you're in play, when you start the game, it's just a normal 30-card deck. The cards that you that are in the band are not in the deck, so your start of gain effects will trigger as normal. Uh, spell your size can eat this, and then... You won't have any any minions in your deck if you only have three. Uh, Benedictus, you can put shadow spell or holy spells in the band. They aren't in your deck. Benedictus will trigger. Whatever you want to do. You can't put start of game effects in the band because they're not in your deck. They don't do anything, and many of them are banned from the band. Uh, so otherwise, this is four mana, four four for a preloaded. Pandaran Importer or Zephyrus or Venomous Scorpion or whatever you want to call it, it is a format of 4 4 where you get to pick the choices before the game starts. Is that worth it? Yep. And, you know,
0: there have been a lot of discussion, there's been a lot of experimentation in this format to how to utilize a TC. It is a uh, deck builders uh, dream. A lot of deck builders really are high on this card because of the perceived potential of possibilities. Oh, I'll just throw in a, a few tech cards or I'll throw in cards that are good in that specific matchup. The question has always been if a card, the the, the the issue with ETC is that if a card is good enough to be in your deck, you put it in your deck. You don't want to tax it with a four mana, four, four. And if a card is situational and you start putting situational cards into the ETC, then those situational cards are already kind of bad in the deck, become even worse because to get to play them, you have to play a 4 mana 4 4 first, which is bad. So I'll give you so far my impression. Uh, On the card so far, it's being utilized in multiple decks. Multiple decks are experimenting with it. I'll go over them. I think the most popular one is Thief Rogue. A lot of people are trying this card in Thief Rogue. And initially, someone hit a number one legend with a list that runs uh, ETC and includes in the band Krabatoa, Theotar, and Putricide. And oh let me tell you something, putting Krabatoa, which is one of the best cards in the deck, and putting it behind a, a ETC tax is absolutely terrible. Because if you... It, it, Krabatoa is a comeback card. You play on 6, you slap it on 6. If you have to play a 4-mana four, 4 four first first in order to fall behind, then discover the Krabatoa so that maybe it can get you back in the game, you're not making a good choice. Like, in it's obvious that that specific band is uh, not suitable for the archetype, and that specific list has tanked Thief Rogue's win rate significantly. Like, Thief Rogue, in the next report, might become even Tier 4 just because of that list, just because of the inclusion of ETC and putting cards that you normally put in a deck, main decking them, suddenly behind the 4-4 attacks. Now, there are you know, other attempts to utilize ETC and Thief Rogue. And they might not be as bad, but the general the general sense that I'm, I'm getting from ETC is that this is one of the worst cards in the deck. Like, it, in no build did I see ETC being a positive uh, factor, a positive contributor to Thief Rogue. So there is a possibility always, and I feel like this excuse will always come up, oh, people misutilize ETC. They're not picking the right band or they're not picking the right cards or whatever. And that's why card is bad. I think this is going to be a constant counter argument whenever I look at data and say ETC performs bad. Uh, People are going to say, oh, they're just not playing the card correctly. And while that is a somewhat, uh, it's a potentially valid argument. The fact is so far, so far, four days in or five days into the release of the card, I have not seen a single thief rogue list that supposedly correctly utilize ETC because ETC is not a positive contributor in that archetype so far and the best build likely omits it and just runs good cards instead of runs all that situational shit.
1: Yeah, we're not looking for a bunch of examples of a bad band. We want one example of a good band. Remember how exactly. the weak Renathal came out. And this is not Renathal, That's not what we're saying. But the weak Renathal came out. We had a podcast and we said this card is trash and everything because it was being tried in a bunch of bad ways. And then that Beast Hunter list came out. This is DC Beast Hunter list. And we're like, oh, this is good now. And then we got more examples. As soon as we get a this is good now, we'll say this is good. But so far, ETC makes the decks that he's in worse and there's a bunch of high-skill cap arguments, show me the proof that he makes anything better.
0: Yeah, I, I am still waiting to figure out a utilization, or to find a utilization that is good in Thiefro, for example. I'm not seeing it. it. Like, it hasn't happened yet. Maybe by the time that the report is out, I'll find something. But so far, that's Thiefroak. Now, uh, Questroid is another archetype that, even we uh, advocated the experimentation of the card in in that archetype, and I can tell you that etc inquestor is the worst card in the deck. And when it comes to side the band options over there, there is far less. Uh, let's say they're not making clear errors. The, like the players are not making clear errors here when they're picking band members for etc. Like they're not making they're not taking cards that are good. And should be in the deck and putting them in ETC in the situational use. Uh, and yet, ETC is the worst card in Questorid. And based on the data that I have, Questorid should absolutely not care about running this card and should just play good cards. Um, that's what I'm seeing so far. Though, another deck that utilizes ETC in some way is Fel Demon Hunter. Fel Demon Hunter has picked up some some play with ETC. And I can tell you that ETC in Fel Demon Hunter is the worst card in the deck. It is absolutely gutter trash. <laughs> it is a power... It's an underpower outlier in Fel Demon Hunter. And Fel Demon Hunter should absolutely, based on the data that I have, should not be running this card. Um, Nowhere near, should be anywhere close... coming to that card like no there is one archetype where etc does not look trash and that is blood death knight in blood death knight i can see some justification for etc etc actually performs reasonably well i look into the best band choice but it seems like a deck that is so slow Right, like Blood Death Knight, it is so slow and so defensive and turtling that the multiple options to have all sorts of cards that apply for different matchups is actually useful. In ETC, I'm seeing potential here for this card to be good in Blood Death Knight. So this is the first example of a deck where ETC is like, oh, okay, this card actually makes sense. The problem is that.
1: Blood Death Knight is trash. (laughs) Like, there's a good reason why it's trash. I might be be biased here. I don't think of this as ETC fitting in the deck so much as I think that ETC can't make this deck worse than it already is. Maybe. But the
0: the, the fact is that I'm looking at ETC and the card actually performs okay. Now, it's also entirely possible that the reason why ETC performs well in Blood Death Knight is because people are putting critical cards in the band and you would still rather run those cards in the deck rather than put them in DTC. Like it's entirely possible that this is a situation that we're seeing here which is why i have to look into it a bit more deeply in order to get an understanding when the card is actually good but in blood death knight for sure etc is not trash it's not like in quest droid where i'm saying oh this is the worst card in the deck i'm looking at fell demon hunter oh this is the worst card in the deck i'm looking at thief rogue i'm saying oh this card is like single-handedly Pushing this deck to tier 4 because it's so bad and it's also being uh, misutilized. Um, No, in Blood Death Knight, it's actually, okay, this this is interesting. I'm seeing potential utilization here. This is so far the story. The story with ETC, though, it's very clear and obvious that if this card belongs in the deck, it belongs in a very low number of decks in the format. And these decks are very specific and very niche. ETC is not a card you just put into your deck. And just because of the potential flexibility, you really need a very, very good reason to put in your deck. It is a very situational card in that aspect. Um, Now, again, we could see another situation where Renathal, where people just get better at utilizing it. I don't know. I'm still leaving that possibility out, I'm just giving you an important update regarding whether you should put it into your deck. And for now, the answer is no. Don't put it in your deck because it just, first for now, from what I'm seeing, it just penalizes you. It just, it's not good. Anywhere. Now, if it's good in Blood Death Knight, I can see it being decent in Control Priest. Not Svalna. No, no, no. Do not pull it in Svalna oh, Priest. Gosh. But in no. Control Priest... Because people are putting it in Svalna Priest
1: hat. They're actually doing that. Do, do they hate their own switcheroos? Is that what they hate?
0: Yeah, they're actually killing their own switcheroos and ETC is tanking Svalna Priest right now. Like Svalna Priest might tank just because of people putting ETC in it. But yeah. Um so the way I see it, maybe in a very slow attrition style, the highly defensive deck that can afford the time to play ETC and the band members are potential answers to multiple archetype, like a highly reactive deck thief rogue is not a reactive deck quest Rude is not a reactive deck fell demon hunter is not a reactive deck you get me you feel me if you're playing a deck that wins in a late game by executing its own strategy you should probably not care about running etc whatsoever uh, because you should be worrying about your own plays and your own cards
1: And so far, ETC in those decks just doesn't work. Let me tell you Zach. as an aggressive player, ETC is my favorite pre-release card in some time because I see all these people running it, and I hit them in the face, and it's just wonderful. Yeah.
0: Now, they... uh, Oh, but don't you forget that they can play potentially a defensive uh, five drop in that card, right? Like a spammy Arcanist. And then they play the ETC at 4-man uh, at 4-4 uh-huh. and they lull you into
1: false sense of security and then they wreck you, right? That's how it works. With a spammy Arcanist against Undead Priest, like, okay. Kill, please kill my stuff. Okay. For me, uh it, it's
0: it for me, my conclusion so far, if your deck is good. <laughs> And you don't need to worry about what your opponent is doing. And you need to worry about what you're doing. You put the best cards possible in your list. And you don't care about ETC. If you're playing a highly reactive strategy. Um, then maybe this card makes sense. Yeah. But in that situation. If you're a highly reactive strategy. You're kind of not a good deck anyway. You're not playing a good deck anyway. Because you're just a sitting duck. To those strategies. That are very powerful. Now, I will tell you a story. I played against a Thiefro. I was playing Fel Demon Hunter. And I was playing against a person playing Thiefro. And they played ETC. And they discovered Theotar. And they played the Theotar. And they stole my Relic of Dimensions. They Shadow Stepped the Theotar. To play a a Theotar again. And then they stole my Jace. They lost this game. (coughs) And the reason why they lost this game. Is because they spent 14 mana on garbage <laughs> like they spent 14 mana doing nothing that actually furthered their own game plan so that thief rogue instead of winning through stash through jackpot trickster they spent their time worrying about what i'm doing and kept trying to disrupt what i'm doing and it still didn't work because their deck is not built to do that their deck is built to further their own game plan and if you start shoving in cards that don't do don't further your game plan you're in trouble. Now maybe ETC should just be a card that runs three band members and all of these band members should be cards that further your game plan. But that still tells you that you need to do something different in ETC than what people currently do, which is the situational good in some matchup thing. No, what ETC, if if ETC is ever good in a proactively functional deck that tries to further its own game plan, then the band members should probably be cards that accomplish that, that further your own game plan. But still putting them behind a four-form tax is very questionable. Now if you ask me, where would ETC be good? beyond the highly reactive strategies where maybe putting the situational cards under a 4-mana, four, four, four 4-4 four, four attacks would actually be useful, I can see it being good as a way to bypass deck building restriction. For example, in Wild, people are playing it in Even Shaman in order to discover Lothap, like cards that are even in a in a gen deck, right? They're playing it under the ETC because they can't. Because it doesn't, it doesn't uh, hurt the start of game effect again. It still activates. And then they get some scars. But even in that situation, in Even Shaman, and they're winning in it. I think they're winning because they're playing Even Shaman in WoW. it's Like it's, They're not winning because of ETC. So I still don't know whether that works. But I will say that ETC is a way for you to bypass deck building restrictions. And if there is ever a use of ETC, an optimal use of ETC, where the card absolutely makes sense and enables a strategy, it's something like that. Uh, for example, I think Donkey. Donkey built a Vander Rogue deck. And he used ETC as a way to put Astelore in it so that the Vander still activates through Shadow Step or Bone Spikes. Sorry, Bone Spike. So that uh, Astralor does not interfere with uh, Vandar. And you still get the option of having Astralor in the late game. So something like that I can see working. I'm not saying Vandar Rogue is good now all of a sudden. But it's a specific example. Bypassing uh, like uh, Even Shaman, uh, Gendex. Something like that I think could work. So bottom line. TLDR. ETC in most strategies right now looks Garbage. The only strategies currently where ETC looks good is uh, highly reactive strategies like Blood Death Knight. Uh, in decks that want to further their own game plan and have a good late game win condition, it absolutely looks terrible because it doesn't synchronize with what they're trying to do. and It's potentially bad because people misutilize it. That's still a possibility. Uh, but if that is the case, then everyone is currently misutilizing it. There is not a single person who's come up with the correct formula for ETC in Thief Rogue or Questroid or felDh or all of these strategies. So if I need to evaluate ETC based on card situation, I would say ETC is a situational card that might be useful in very, very slow reactive strategies at the moment and maybe is a way to bypass deck building restrictions in, and enable certain strategies. Okay. Mm-hmm. Potentially useful card, but not something you slap into every deck. If you put this in an aggressive deck, I will slap you. I've seen people start to the craft, expansion uh, decks for the next expansion and putting ETC in it. Stop doing that. Do not do that. Uh, it's it probably never going to be good that
1: way. But, Zach, you know what was wrong with that Thief Rogue that played ETC into Theo? Theo? They didn't have Tony to fill the gap on five. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't we talk about Tony? Just get all the air quotes controversy out of the way and talk about Tony King of Piracy. This is a five mana four six neutral legendary. It's a pirate. Both decks are swapped. Finale draw card. Now, both decks are swapped. This is the first time this has been implemented this way. It is very hard to intuitively read. This is an aura. While he's in play, the decks are swapped. As soon as he dies or is silenced or anything happens to him that gets rid of his text box, the decks swap back. It's not permanent. It is not a battle cry. It, when he's in play and not silenced, this happens. As soon as that stops being the case, the decks go back. Yep. This card could get nerfed, Hat, (laughs) It it could.
0: It's uh, one aspect of the... Like, some interaction of this card could get nerfed. Maybe the card that works with it could get nerfed. But uh, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because there is a combo that looks insanely easy to execute with Tony of a King of Piracy that offers a really powerful win condition. And that is, of course, Control Warrior running Fires of Zinajari. Fires of Zinajari, your time has come! And the combo basically is you play Tony and you play Fires of Zinajari. Tony swaps decks, you get your opponent deck, and then you play Fires of Zinajari to transform your opponent's deck into random, expensive minions. They kill the Tony. Let's say they don't kill the Tony, you draw some value cards, they kill the Tony, you play Steam Cleaner, and proceed to delete the Fire of Zinajari deck. Um, This combo is a two-card combo, it costs seven, you can rush it as soon as possible and play it on seven mana, and it basically eliminates the win condition of any late game strategy that comes up against you. And there is absolutely nothing that... They get checkmated. Because if you draw Tony and Fires of Zenojari and a Steam Cleaner, the game kind of is over. If you're going late game. Uh, This is very powerful. And this is something that, from my impression on Twitter, Team 5 did not test this. Did not think about this enough. Uh, If this is good, if you're playing a Control Warrior deck... Control Warrior, let's, uh, you're playing Control Warrior, okay? You're playing Garbage, Removal, and Armor gain cards. You have no win condition. Your win condition is Tony, Fires of Zinajari, and a Steam Cleaner. You play Tony on turn seven. You play Fires of Zinajari. You swap decks. What do they draw from your deck? Garbage. That can definitely not kill you because these are Control Warrior cards. So they get pretty much checkmated. If I'm playing a Fell Demon Hunter duck and I'm playing against this, and I get checkmated on turn 7, if my hand doesn't have the tools necessary to win the game, the game is over. If I'm playing an astr- a slower attrition, t- if I'm playing Control Priest, and I get Tony checkmated, the game is over. If I'm playing any deck that aims for a late game win condition, the game is kind of over. So, pretty much the only thing that stops this card from being played on 7 is whether
1: or not it's drawn, whether or not you drew the combo. Or if you're going to die when you play it, because there's no You're playing yet. Control Warrior, though, Hat. You're playing Control Warrior, so you sure. have a lot of survivability. But, but, Zach, you know what other card met a lot of these conditions? is Ticketus. Ticketus was very good in these matchups, too, you know uh
0: i don't know how Ticketus deleted five cards to the list did not delete your whole deck you could still win post Ticketus, if you had pressure you still drew useful cards from your deck this card means that you no longer draw useful cards from your deck your deck is done this is basically rin accelerated you remember rin the uh, the, the disciple um that card deleted your opponent's deck but that took like an investment of 30, 25 mana or something like that. This costs seven. You can play it as early as turn seven and it deletes your opponent's deck. That's it. Your deck is done. I think this is very powerful. This is much better and easier to execute. Remember that Togwoggle was a legitimate late game win condition for Druid and that required them to draw their entire deck, get to fatigue, basically deleting their deck and then swapping.
1: But what year? What year was this stuff? What year was Rin? What year was Togwaggle?
0: Here, you don't need to draw your whole deck. You just you can rush this turn
1: seven, and the game is over. Well, no, the draws are over. I like you have to be talking about some kind of really slow attrition deck. Or something that involves a lot of cards that work together for some kind of late game combo. If you play this, if you play this against Miracle Rogue, they also lose the game. On turn 7? On turn 7. They, I assume they did stuff the first 7 turns, and also the turn you play this the turn after, your shields are down. Yes, but I'm saying that
0: if Miracle Rogue did not kill you by turn 7, and you play this, that's it. They're kind of done.
1: Because they can't draw useful cards anymore, Hat miracle doesn't have too many cards left in their deck at that point and if they didn't kill by seven then i think there are a lot of ways to slow them down like yeah it might be more of a door slam in those situations if you're playing quest if, if you're playing ram Droid, the game is over you cannot win unless you have Ascelor
0: in your hand you need all the combo pieces in your hand by that time or the game is over Fell de- Fel demon hunter, the game is over. Uh, if I'm playing a lot of decks, big, I'm I'm reading the decks that are currently in the meta. Let's let's pretend. Let's pretend we're talking about the current meta. Fell demon hunter gets done. Big spell mage gets done. Big spell mage literally cannot function. Uh, Philactir warlock, unless you draw all your combo pieces, you're kind of done. Um, obviously, it's going to be an entirely different format, but I'm just getting a sense of this is a six format meta. This is a 6-set meta which is the fastest in the year and we're talking about a 4-set meta rotation in April. Decks are going to be slower and we have a two-card win condition, two-card combo that deletes opponent's decks on turn 7. I think this is very
1: powerful. I'm I'm going to push back against powerful specifically. I don't think powerful. I would say warping, potentially warping. Warping
0: is powerful at if everybody needs to kill a control warrior if everybody needs to kill a control warrior by turn seven or the game ends, I think this is very powerful. Like this is
1: a very fast win condition. It's not a win it is not a win condition. Look at what control warrior does. Look at what control warrior does and doesn't do. It loses shield shatter. They have nothing right now. It they like there's no Nelly really anymore. You don't need anything proactive! You don't need anything prior to it. It's just literally Control Warrior.
0: Just survive, survive as much as possible. Use whatever AoE cards so you don't have Shield Shire. You just run Double Brawl and you run all the Armor Gain cards and whatever else gets printed in the new what, set What Armor Gain
1: cards? What? You just run like Shield Block and stuff. Who cares? Okay, so you run like, Shield Blocks and Brawl and you're Control Warrior from 2014. Are you telling
0: me, Hat, that Control Warrior is not going to get enough Survivability cards over the next
1: year? For it to potentially utilize uh, Tony? Like, what? I don't know what survivability cards they're going to get. If this ends up being the sort of thing that is routinely defined in games of standard, it will get deleted immediately. I am not worried about that's that. That's what I'm saying. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that this card gets nerfed. I'm saying this card's very likely gets it nerfed. Is, but it's specifically that interaction along with the Steam Cleaner thing. And even if you remove Steam Cleaner from the equation... If you just give them back a fires deck, like it's not ideal, but they can still smack you around with that if they it's like maybe it's not it's not what you want to do, but it's something that could happen. But you just play two steam cleaners. Who cares?
0: You just play two steam cleaners, you play two fires of Zinajari, and you play Tony, and every other card is live. Just try to live and some card draw and armor
1: gain and remove. It's, so that's it. It's possible. I think I think that deck is only going to end up beating things that are otherwise losing, but if that ends up being a deck with any degree of popularity, I imagine it will get adjusted very quickly. Now, I looked over the tweet interaction you were talking about. I don't think it's an indication of a lack of playtesting. It was a tweet that was misread. Uh, I, I do not believe that there was a lack of awareness here, but we'll see. It's possible that the format ends up having a speed limit defined by Tony. If, if the
0: speed limit If the speed limit is defined by a control warrior deck that normally should not have access to win conditions this fast because it has a survivability to long last longer if it can just end games on turn seven then this should absolutely be deleted <laughs> but uh yeah the- there are other things that tony can do uh, uh tony order in the court for example like you play tony you play order in the court Eventually it swaps back, but you just messed up the deck order of your opponent. Not not all not every deck wants to get order and accorded. And also you steal their most expensive card. Which could be relevant in some decks. For example, against Ram Druid, wins the game. Like you steal a Nubercon,
1: game's over. They can't yeah. function. It's just against all the initiative stuff in the format, this card is absolute trash. Okay. Hat like I
0: understand, I understand, I understand that uh, from a perspective of someone who likes to play a lot of aggressive decks, Tony doesn't seem that good. But remember, the other 25 cards in the deck are going to be dedicated to beating the kind of decks that you play. And then Tony is just a five card package where you only need to draw three to execute and beat any
1: late-game strategy if it hasn't managed to to kill the Warrior at I'm not, I'm not at talking that about point. Fires anymore. I'm talking about an order-in-the-court Paladin deck. Go ahead and order-in-the-court. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. It's If we're talking about within the specific context of a three-card combo involving just Fires of Zinujari, I understand the concerns there about it being super ticketous, about it being fast and creating polarized matchups, potentially being format-warping. I don't think it will be quite as powerful, but I think there's a chance they change it anyways, just because if the speed limit of the format is defined by that and people keep doing it, then they will hear about it to the point where they really ought to change something. And I can see that happening. But I don't think Tony's a good card. You don't think Tony is a good card? Okay.
0: Um, in Wild, you can do this with Explore on Goro and Geist. It's pretty hilarious. You can do it in turn it's six. It's funny.
1: Act. It's uh, okay. Wild does a lot of things by turn six. It's funny. Tony has one three card combination, and every other implementation I've seen sounds a lot like playing a worse Theatar. A lot like that. Right? There are a lot of implementations where he's a mischief maker. Do you know what mischief maker is? It's a three mana, three, three from Saviors that swaps the top card of both players' decks.
0: Yeah. How yeah. often is Tony going to be a Mischief card.
1: Maker? And Mischief Maker was not, was not a playable card. So you have to have some kind of wacky yeah, thing yeah. to do with this. You have to do it with the shields down. So it has to be pretty decisive. It's possible that Tony fires an Ishari Control Warrior is the menace of the upcoming meta. Uh, I believe that it will not be actively good, but it will be popular enough and warping enough that they will consider changing it. But also I could easily see it falling in the Ticketus bucket of it only beats decks that do- aren't doing anything. It depends. We'll see. I will say this. If Warrior's set
0: in this expansion is even half dedicated to Control Warrior, then watch out for Tony and Fires of Uh, Your time has come. Control Warrior players, your time might be coming. Because this, for me, for a Control Warrior deck, a win condition that is very, very fast. Like turn seven, potentially. Okay. Um, there's some other cool legendaries. Uh, I think uh, Pazic, uh, Audio Engineer, a four mana, five four. That Battle Cry is add two three three bots to your opponent's hand. They cost three. The Death Rattle summon them to yourself for yourself. Like, so basically, this, if they don't play the three mana, three, three bots, which are, in, which are inefficient minions, then Pazzik is basically a four, four mana, five, four that has a death row that summons two, three, three bots. That's a lot of stats. Like, in a hyper aggressive deck, I can see this card being played. It is kind of like a four mana Savannah high main, it's a lot of pressure. Uh, and oftentimes, your opponent is it, like, your opponent, if you're playing an aggressive deck, a hyper-aggressive deck, your opponent doesn't have time to play 3-3 bots that do nothing on the board. So what ends up happening, they defend themselves. They try to defend themselves. This death row is going to get a lot of value. This is a very intimidating card. Now, the drawback of this card, it sucks late game. It it gets to a point where it's really bad in the late game. Like, if you top deck system, 7-8 and you play this, it kind of sucks. But... I don't think a hyper-aggressive deck's care because all of the cards that they draw at that point on turn 7-8 kind of suck because they're a hyper-aggressive deck that have a very low curve. So in a deck like Aggro DH or a Face Hunter deck, this card can do work. I think Pazic has potential.
1: And the way he's implemented is kind of fun too, like... If they shuffle the three threes back into the deck, you can you yank them out of the deck. Now, if the opponent does summon them and then POSIC dies, you don't pull them to your side of the board. They stay where they are.
0: Yeah. They they don't they don't switch boards. Um but again, I think this card is is pretty good. It's a very powerful front loaded card for an aggressive deck. That's very sticky and it's a threat. Five attack on four is a big break point. This is like a four-mana Savannahheim kind of kind of deal. So I think this card has potential in very aggressive decks uh, to be good. And then we had a card revealed uh, last uh, just yesterday. We have the card that we saw yesterday, Photographer uh, Fizzle. It's a three-mana three-three. Battlecry: Take a snapshot of your current hand and shuffle it into your deck. Now this is not Dead Man's Hand. It's not. You take a snapshot of your hand and you shuffle a single spell. It's a two-mana spell that once you draw and you play it, it's like an Elise pack. If you remember Elise the Trailblazer uh, that shuffled an Angoro pack to your deck, and once you played that pack, you got five cards into your hand, this is what happens here. You play the two-mana spell... And that two mana spell fills your hand with the cards that you photographed. So it's not a dead man's hand, but it's a very high value card uh, that it can be used to copy your deck and tap into it later. It's more of a card advantage card, right? But it's a slow one. Obviously, it's a three mana, three, three, and you need to draw the photograph. Uh, But if you draw it, it basically fills your hand with cards that you have in your deck. So it's a significant value card. Uh, I can see it in like value kind of decks, play it, but also decks that may may want to copy the contents of their hand and potentially execute something with it. Uh, But it is slow. Like uh, it's slow, but there might be some decks that make use of it. But they have to be slow. Definitely decks that play fast to the board and stuff like that would not touch this. And that's uh, that's it for the neutral set. Uh, As I said, watch out for Tony. I think Tony's going to do some damage. Um, And uh, overall, I think this uh, neutral set is pretty interesting. As I said, the biggest praise I can give it is how perfectly flavorful it is with the expansion and the theme some of these cards are particularly brilliant um i'm interested to see hand buffing mechanics i want to see classes with hand buffing mechanics that could potentially take you uh, make use of party animal specifically i'm looking at warrior paladin hunter i think hunter has the potential to be have a very good menagerie deck as well um so yeah i'm looking forward to the class sets it starts next week very early on maybe at the time of uh that this podcast comes out. We'll start uh, learning about the class sets.
1: Yep. We're so listeners, it is nearing four in the morning, so I'm going to go to bed. I'm not going to edit tonight, so I'm going to try and get the show out on Sunday night, but it might be out on Monday. We'll see how it works. Uh, but thank you so much everyone for listening, for coming along with us on this reveal journey, and we're going to keep it going. The, the rest of the podcast, this expansion will be about reveals and discussion. Uh, Unless anything wacky happens, but that's the current plan. So you should expect reports to still come out on the website as we wind down March of the Lich King. Uh, the so that'll be out Thursday the twenty third. Try and have the podcast for you next weekend at the normal time. Uh, via gold, via silver, Patreon members, thank you so much for your support. Uh, Evil Dave, thank you so much for the podcast transcriptions. Good luck with linking all of the images for the new cards. And Steven Sensei, thank you as always for the intro and outro. We will talk to you all soon.
0: The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper Report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at vicioussyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.